tetragrammaton. ask you a lot of dumb questions because i don't know anything about hockey so I, that's that's why i told my daughter Tag, i don't think he follows hockey but you know he probably read all. something but you absorb everything though you know I'm everything interested. yeah that's what i always told eddie i said i know more about music than you do about hockey so lay off okay <laughs> <laughs> laird too i said get get on the ice one time laird we'll see what happens to you <laughs> well, yeah thanks i was flattered to be asked to do this is awesome that's so cool i mean yeah. i wouldn't have thought of it but you reached out it's like oh he's here we're here let's do this like, yeah great. my wife's going that's awesome she never gets excited <laughs> <laughs> she loves you so oh that's nice where do we begin let's see just try to describe to me i mean for you're talking to a child what are the what are the basic rules of hockey what are the positions uh honestly i started because my father played soccer he's a greek immigrant and he felt like the positions in soccer, and he played soccer, were very similar. You had forwards, you had defensemen, you had wingers. So in that sense, uh, it was, and they had goals, right, nets. So uh, that's why you first got interested in hockey. And that's, you know, when I started skating outdoors, there were no rules. It's just like playing street basketball or pickup basketball. But yeah. the speed of it, you know, caught my, you know, just something I really enjoyed doing as a kid. And, but the similarities of soccer, that was my dad's whole thing, why he, he wanted me to start playing. So is 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 hockey the fastest of the main sports? It seems like it might be the fastest. And they did say at one point for sure the fastest sport on two feet. But some of these guys now, these football players, the way they run, and that's different. They're only sprinting. But at the end of the day, you're only going about 20 miles an hour. I think these guys can run 20 miles an hour in football. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but but as far as you know, football stop and go. There's whistle to whistle. It's a you only play 12 minutes of actual playing time in football. Whereas hockey, when you're playing, you're playing, you're moving the whole time that the time's going on. Like there, the clock stops when the you know when the whistle blows and the clock starts. So you're moving a lot faster for a lot longer than any other sport. That's for sure. And when like basic rules, how long is it? How long is it? Generally, you're on the ice for a minute shift, depending on if you're in the other team's offensive zone or you're playing defense. If you're playing in your end, you, generally you're you're working a lot harder trying to defend. So it's like a minute of sprinting? Basically, yeah. And then you just kind of know, the players know. The, obviously, the, the coaches will dictate which line is up next. You usually have four lines up front, and you have six defensemen, three pairs. And you just kind of know, but the coach will dictate who goes out next. It's just up to you. You know, if there's no stoppage, you got to call changing on the fly without a whistle. You actually change as the play's going on when it's safe. Or when there's a whistle, you just change lines. And there are offensive players and defensive players. It's not the same people doing both. No, that, and it's, it's crazy because the way sports, the evolution of sports, you'd think that at some point they're going to have guys that play both sides like football did that back in the day, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, now that guys are so well-trained and, 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 you know, the, the fitness thing, I wouldn't be shocked. There's been a few players that have played forward and defense, but it's pretty rare that the guys be able to play both both ways. It's just you got to be able to skate backwards or if you're a defenseman. And a lot of the forwards, they grow up and they don't really skate backwards, so they're not very good at it. Mm. I imagine it's hard to skate backwards. It, not if you start, you know, as a defenseman. Like, I started as a forward, so I had a tough time. I switched Switching. at 17, so yeah. I had enough, you know, college time to actually get good at it and I you know I just got lucky and I played defense a lot as a kid too just because you get more ice time. Yeah. 
So, because there's less guys, right? Six yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. And what would be the difference in being being on the offensive side or the defensive side in terms of why would someone be better at one than the other? Like me, I played center. I played forward for my first 16 years of hockey. So I had some offensive skills. So there are defensemen that are just stay home, defensive defensemen. And then you get guys like me that are offensive guys like Kale McCarr, Ray Bork, Paul Coffey, Bobby Orr was a perfect example of a guy that played defense, but had tremendous skills and could play offense and contribute, you know, scoring goals and getting assists. So that's basically, if you want to be known as an offensive forward, you got to have some skill to be able to join the rush and be able, and be able to finish and score goals. Yeah, is it is the the offense is mainly about scoring goals. Yep. And yep. the defense is shutting down the shutting the guys down this and it's like anything else you got shut down guys, usually your top two defensemen, they're your best defensemen out of the six and they're the shutdown guys to play against the other team's top players. So and it's matchups like there's all kinds of matchups similar to other sports, basketball, football and and that plays into it too. You think there's a difference playing on the ice than playing on either wood or grass like in other sports? You can't skate, you can't play. That, that's a, that's the biggest difference. It sounds simple, but anybody can run. You know, any you know, like lacrosse is a great sport, but they don't translate into hockey players just because they can have a stick and and it's type typically the same type of rules as as hockey. But no, it, it, I think that's the biggest reason why you know you only have so many hockey players or it's it's not a national sport because there's a lot of warm weather states that just don't have that opportunity in the wintertime to learn how to skate because if it was two seasons all over the country, you'd see a lot more hockey, you'd see it, it'd be a, as big as baseball, football, you know, but unfortunately you have the, the states or it's grown, you know, out west, obviously, with, with Wayne Gretzky. He was, you know, when he got traded at L.A., that just started a whole thing out west. And now you see all, Austin Matthews is from Phoenix. You know, this other kid, Robertson, from Dallas is from L.A. So now it's not odd to see these kids popping up from all these you know, warm-weather states. And in, in Canada, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous in Canada? Yeah, let them say what they want. They, they, they think it's their sport, but it's their only sport. You don't count... <laughs> You don't count curling. So the, basically, <laughs> every big kid in Canada, they play hockey. Everybody plays Every, hockey. They, and, and we got our, our big athletes. They put football, baseball, basketball, and hockey tends to be smaller. The players, American players, are smaller um, for whatever reason, most likely because they weren't big enough to play football, baseball, or basketball. Not necessarily baseball. That's kind of a, you in know, the same type as hockey, the, the size of guys. Mm-hmm. What's the culture of hockey like in Canada? Because you got to play in Canada. You started in Canada. Yeah. Montreal, I don't think there's a better place that I could have broken in as far as the history and the tradition, the culture they built, the French Canadians. Had no idea what I was getting into. But I actually, I hate to show my age, but I played with you know Guy Lafleur, Bob Ganey, Larry Robinson. And I always said breaking in with the Canadians was like getting a Harvard degree. Yeah. You know, if I was 20 years old, breaking in with a team with no, ex, you know, history and, uh, and I've seen a lot of guys fail because they, they come into the league at 18 or 19 and have no leadership. And I had every advantage in the world coming in Montreal. And I just listened and shut my mouth like a rookie should, because I knew the success that these guys had had in the past. How can you, you know, question anything they do or say, right? Yeah. How much of it is really a team sport? Is it about, somebody who's great or does the team have to be great to really make it work there can be great individual players like in any sport but the great ones make the players around them better i guess that's that's what i would say 
Um, and that would, that's a team player. You know, there's a lot of guys that scored a lot of goals that meant nothing. You yeah. know, they don't play the system. Um, one guy comes to mind from the NBA and not a knock against him. I love him would be Allen Iverson yeah. at his time. He was one of the best basketball players in the world, but he didn't make anybody around him better. You know, that's why, you know, Michael, I think all around, he just made everybody around him better. He's a, a great example, MJ of that. So but yeah, you you have you can't do it on your own in hockey. Very seldom can a guy take over, you know, a series in the playoffs or a game possibly here and there. But once you get your shutdown, guys, you shut down one guy. You know, if you're not a team player, you're you're irrelevant in the game most of the times. Explain the um, the fighting and violent aspect of hockey, which is just it's wild. It's it's a. Uh, I think for people who don't watch hockey, they don't understand that it's part of the game it is actually part of the game that there'll be a fight where people really get hurt and that's accepted as part of the game yeah and and this world now with all the sensitivity and so aware of injuries and concussions they're trying to take it out slowly but it's still at the end of the day the most exciting part of the game because of fans and it seems almost barbaric that a sport does allow fighting. I'm I'm thinking it's going to get to the point in the near future where if you do get in a fight, you're just kicked out for that game. In the American League, which is a league just below the NHL, now if you get in a fight, you get suspended for a game, you get another fight, you get two games, four games, six games. So at some point, you don't want to pay the, fi- the suspensions. You don't get paid when you get suspended. So... Slowly but surely, I think they're going to wean it out of the game. But, but it, it'll make the game less exciting. Yeah, but that you don't want the guys up in the blue suits, you know, for accountability. You want yeah. the guys on the ice. Then that's where the respect factor kicks in. Uh, it's always been policed by the players, and it's always worked. But in the same token, no one's ever really gotten hurt bad from fights, you know. But why wait for it to happen? That's the other, you know, argument. So where's the line, like... Um... You, I mean, you have weapons. You could kill the other guy. Then you're going to use your sticks more. That's right. If so, they, but so I'm, I'm asking, like, where was the line of like, what's okay to do, what's not okay? Where, where was the line, the violent line? Well, there was, you know, when I started in the you know 80s, 83, the players had that respect for each other. No one would go after a skilled player if you were a tough guy. There was just that, you know, unwritten rule: you don't do that. But if someone goes after your best player, then you go after their best player, and then it stops real quick. You know, no one didn't touch Wayne Gretzky because he had McSorley and he had McClelland and he had uh, Semenko. They did it out of respect to him. Now playoffs, it's no rules. It's a survival of the fittest. And if you could take out Gretzky or you could take out me or any other player, it was on. And but you could elbow a guy and put him out of a series and only get a two minute penalty. You know, I got cured by two back to back four game suspensions that's 150 grand back in the 90s that's a lot of money so i got cured real quick you just you adjust to the rules and and you know but at the end of the the playoffs early in the series you knock you take out the yeah if you take out the best player of the other team it screws up the whole series for them yeah and that's why i don't understand i'm watching football for example If, if i'm a defense if i'm a a linebacker i'm taking out tom brady i don't care if 15 yards or or even get ejected, take him out, you're winning the game, or your chances, you know, are increased about immensely. So, yeah, but it, like I said, it's it, you, you'll see now more and more players are getting hurt for longer periods of time. That's mostly because the rules change. They, there's no hooking, no holding. They want offense, but at the same token, a lot of guys are getting hurt. You know? What were some of the uh, bad situations you saw or participated in? Oh my God, the <laughs> brawls, I guess. Another worst thing I did, and um, it was a payback, you know, hit. 
I knocked out this Brian Propter in the playoffs, um, and I put in the hospital for two weeks. And but he had broken two of my fingers, you know, prior to that, and it was just payback. And I and just, you think when he did that, did he do it on purpose? He, well, he slashed me on purpose for sure. But he's he slashed heavy. He had a reputation slashing of slashing is, hands, slashing just is taking using your stick, the stick and, and hitting the guy's hands. Yeah, and you all players know where that there's no padding so you can get between the wrist and the glove you can get between the arm and here or you know in the back of the leg or that that thing that nerve on the side of your knee you hit that you got drop toe for four weeks so players are aware of that so you know as you know progressively the equipment bob got better you're able to cover that but you know i got attacked by ron hextall uh, the last game and it's still kind of a, a, a big thing for a goalie to go after a player at the end of the game and he came at me swinging his stick like a and what do, like do, a, do you know what inspired him to do that because i took out his player yeah. it was just payback for taking out one of his and yeah but again i've been lucky i i deserved everything i got because i you know <laughs> Once I got into playoffs, I I was going after. I would target guys and not you know, not necessarily hurt them against the boards. No way, because I didn't want to break anybody's neck. That would be the worst thing, and I would never do that. But an elbow to the head was you know that was allowed and tolerated back then. So whatever you could do to take them out of the game and maybe out of the series, but not kill them or cripple them. Exactly right. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure I understand yeah. where the where the line was. Yeah, and like I said, even the, in the playoffs, you wouldn't want to cripple somebody. No, no, no. Never hit a guy from behind because they're defenseless, and it's the worst thing you can do is push a guy when he's three, four feet from the, the boards, and that's it. Doesn't happen often, and most of the time, what does happen is because the player turns his back at the last second, and the guy can't hold up. So, but guys that generally in hockey, they're you know, they've even, when you're a kid, they put a, 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 like a stop sign on the back of the kids' helmets so kids are aware of that to teach them not to hit from behind. When you're going fast on the ice, how quickly can you stop? As quick as you have to. Really? Yeah, and it's like anybody else. They wonder people that don't know hockey, you know, but it's like anything else. When you start young, like... But you could stop dead. On a dime, from, yeah. from full speed, dead, Maybe you get about six inches, you'll slide six inches, but it all depends how much weight you put on your feet. You could slide five feet sideways and stop and come to a, you know, a slow stop, but most of the time you're stopping, start and stopping real quick so you can get going the other way. Yeah. And how old were you when you decided to retire? 48. Okay. <laughs> Maybe about two years too. No, let's, <laughs> talk, let's talk about that. that. How old were the other players on your team when you were 48? 22, some of them, 23. Yeah. And like I said, I, I was just lucky. And I mean, you you were there for a lot of my training. And I'll throw wild, man. When I was uh, 39, I started training with Don at 29. And How'd you meet Don? Tell me the story of meeting Don. Gabby, and me and Gabby Reese, we had the same trainer in Venice. So he, one day she said, you got to meet my new boyfriend, Laird. <laughs> And his friend, they're crazy. They'd love to hang out with you. So I go, sure. So I met him at Coogies. They said, well, let's go mountain bike riding tomorrow. I'd never been mountain bike riding. I go, how bad can it be? It was bad. <laughs> they they ditched me out in the canyon. Yeah. They end up at Coogies. I show up three hours. You know, they're gone. I'm bleeding. Um, but I was hooked. You know, Don was such, when an animal he was. But the, so inspiring. Yes. And he was my mentor for the last 20-something years. It's hard to believe Met him when he was 60, and he just passed a couple, you know, five years ago, four years ago, yeah. I believe. But I mean, it was like a drug addiction to Don. He, you know, he made the cool, you feel the coolest guilty. person I ever met in my ever, life. Ever. The coolest person on the planet. Yeah. After you, you got a different oh, vibe please. than Don. No, no, no. But Don he, was incredible. Yeah. So inspiring. Yeah. Just want to hang around him. Yeah. And always positive. Yep. 
he kept great outlook on life. Yeah, he kept it. When there's any kind of drama or anything, Don would fix it like that. And uh, and most of the time, like I said, it was, whether it was training in his gym in the basement, you know, three days a week, yeah. or the mountain biking or dune bug riding, anything. <laughs> Don, you know, he's hellish, helicopter snowboarding two months before he died. Like that, he's he's insane. And there's no, I've never met anybody even close to him in my life. But yeah. uh, he really made a difference for me, my longevity. Because you add my training, and then you throw the mountain bike in, and his he had those Kaiser gym equipments where air, uh, compressor air, and it was smooth. But I'd never been stronger in my life, and that you know a credit to you know to that. That's what you know, lasts till forty eight. I I never lost my desire to play. I lost my opportunity. But at forty eight, it's going to happen. Was was there any times early in your career where you thought this is it? I'm I'm not. I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. Only when things weren't going good in Chicago. Uh, it was like 99. We had a bad team. It was going through a rebuild, and they were trying to convince me to retire and be in management. And I'm just thinking, God, I got some I got some more left on me. It's just the team. Maybe I need a change. And that's when I asked for the trade to go to Detroit. And I, 10 more years, two Stanley Cups. So, yeah, I, luckily I made the right decision. But like I said, I loved it. Every minute of it, I, there was nothing I didn't like, including the travel. When you have kids, that makes it a little harder because you you miss a lot of the, the kids' things. But now that my daughter has two kids and she's working in the NHL as a broadcaster, she, she gets it. Yeah. You, you know, you do what you love and hopefully you have a good spouse to, you know, cover up for the time you're not there. That, and I was lucky enough to have a great wife who, you know, raised four kids and it, it wasn't easy. I know that, but uh, she did a heck of a job and I was lucky enough to have her. How long is the hockey season? Uh, same as basketball, it goes from October and playoffs start April. And then playoffs, it's the hardest championship to win. You're going four rounds, you know, four best of seven rounds. So you could play two and a half months and it's every other day, basically. And you might get a break if there's a, a layoff between other teams that didn't sweep their series. But there's no question it's the hardest trophy to win in all pro sports. You go two and a half months, and by the end of that two and a half months, if you make it to the finals, you're dead. And then what does it take? If you make it to the finals, what's left? All your mindset is you're here. Don't You don't want to lose in the finals. Yeah. And guys say they'd rather lose first round than go to the finals. But the further you go, the more exciting it is. And I don't care. I've lost in the finals three times. And, yeah, it, it hurts worse when you get that far. But it's still the ride to the finals is amazing. And it just gets more and more, you know, the energy from, you know, the, the, the quarters to the semis to the final. It, there's nothing better. And you're still relevant. And, you're, you know, everybody's – when you're sitting home watching these guys play, you're wishing it was you. And yeah. like I said, I'm lucky. I, I made the playoffs every year except one. So I made the playoffs 25 years. I'm the only, I think I have the lead for, for playoffs. Yeah, even me, Gordy How I love dropping that one. But <laughs> – but yeah, so you're in the playoffs 25 times. 25 years out of 26. Even Gretzky, Messi, I have bragging rights over those guys, and it's, I'm just a, a kid from the south side, so I'm lucky. It's, unbel it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so, unbelievable. Yeah, but great teammates, great teams, but at the end of the day, it's still pretty ironic that it, these guys didn't, you know, I talked to Messier, we do ESPN together. I can't believe he missed the playoffs 11 times, and he's one of the great, goes down as one of the greatest leaders ever, so... Something about it. I've just been lucky. Always in the mix. Yeah. And how many times have you gone to the Olympics? Uh, four. So <laughs> would have been six if it wasn't for the professional. You know, they, they started letting amateurs. And then, yeah, but four is enough. And, it, you know, <laughs> only 22 guys make it every Olympics, right? So you got to be lucky to be chosen as that. And that was my timing was perfect. You know, I went as an amateur once and then as a pro at three times. And 
the last one in Salt Lake, obviously we lost to Canada, but it's probably the greatest hockey ever involved in one of the greatest games. And we beat Russia two games before. So had Herb Brooks, you know, the legendary Herb Brooks in the 1980 uh, Miracle on Ice. It was his last time coaching before he passed. So, but yeah, you, know, you look back and it's amazing, you know, the crazy. Yeah, the when coaches. you're in it, you don't realize no. the, yeah. No, and like you, I'd listened to some of your, you know, your, your podcasts and some of your interviews. And like for me, I didn't want to be a hockey player. That's not growing up. I, I'm a, I like baseball. And realistically, you're not going to make it as a pro hockey player in my from my generation of, from where I'm from. And so everything was a bonus. There's no pressure on me to, to become a hockey player. I was never disappointed when I got cut uh, two years back to back. I was out of hockey in San Diego. Were you were you viewed as an outsider because you weren't Canadian? Oh, I I was the only American for two years in Moose Jaw. And I, I took it like, it was tough. That's where I learned how to fight. You, <laughs> you, and it, it wasn't a, a good learning process. I got uh -huh. beat up a lot because I'd never been in a fight on the ice. And I was small. I, kinda, I was lucky I grew when I was 18 to 19. I grew about three inches. And then I learned maybe how the to fight. fighting, maybe your body had to build up I, in in response to this. Like if we're gonna get beat up, we gotta get bigger. Yeah, maybe my brain's telling me you don't want to get punched in the head that much. So yeah, <laughs> I don't, never thought of it that way. But all I did was hit a bag and got in shape. And when I got in a fight, I just wanted to punch as long as I possibly could. That's all <laughs> no tactic, no nothing, just wide open. And then you start getting smart because you you can't trade off with guys that are bigger. And I took some boxing lessons and I, I got just good enough. <laughs> But then I go to college for two years, and there's no fighting allowed in college, so I kind of lost it going into pro, but it comes back quick. Like when you're <laughs> facing someone with no gloves on, you're going, I don't want to get hit in the goddamn nose again. Do you take your gloves off in a fight? Automatic. Really? It's, a, it's the honorable thing to do. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, guys wear shields. Like if you're honorable, you take your mask off so it's open season on, you know, your head, basically. I love the idea that you took boxing lessons. Yep for hockey yep a lot of guys did especially tough guys but you know one thing they don't realize like boxers don't have shirts on right so there's nothing to grab in hockey you can grab a guy's sleeve and predominantly most guys are right-handed unfortunately if you pick the wrong arm when you go to grab it you're going to get a left first one right in the face but you learn and then you know word gets around the league who's lefty who's righty so there's a lot of you don't want to get punched without a glove on it hurts like trust me how much does fear and intimidation play into the game I mean, like, again, back to fear and fighting. I swear to God, Rick, I have blacked out during fights, not even knowing afterwards, just because of the fear factor. You know, that that adrenaline rush. And it's hard to believe that sometimes you, it gets so wild in the fight and you get so scared that you forget everything. And before you know it, the fight's over. And you're going, okay, you're feeling your face. You, know, you don't feel anything on your head. Okay, I, I'm okay. So, but yeah, and, and there's guys you just don't fight. There's sometimes when the score's six nothing, you know, there's no reason to fight. You know, to, to, sometimes you get in a fight early in the game to set the tone or, you know, send a message. But um, I was never a thinker, so I got in all kinds of trouble. But there was the fight. The fighting was really to win, or revenge. Those most, were the two. Honestly, most of the time, revenge. Whether you someone hit one of your better players, or basically for me when I was playing at home in Chicago, because that old stadium was real special, kind of like your studio here. Yeah, and. You know, you just felt like you owed it to the fans. If you were down by three or four goals at home, I would just get in a fight in the last five minutes just for the hell of it. You know, just, just, to, just so to the, fans the fans would cheer. Yeah, amazing. And I hated losing fights at home, but I didn't lose too many at home. I picked the right guy or just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you ever get booed? Oh yeah, I was like the, the any opposing rank. 
Anywhere I went, I got booed. They hated me everywhere. I couldn't go out to bars, restaurants in those towns. Boston wouldn't dare go out anywhere. Philadelphia, after I almost killed Brian Propp, that was <laughs> that was never going. What happened? What happened in that example? When I, in Philadelphia, when I elbowed him, and like I mean, he was knocked out before he hit the ice. And to make things worse, he hit his back of his head on the ice too. And I went to go visit him in the hospital because my house was like two blocks away in Montreal. But he wouldn't see me, right? I'm going, okay, whatever. But then, you know, 20 years later, I meet him at a funeral and he's telling him how much it really bothered him. So I go, look, I'm sorry. I had no idea. And we're, we're good. I actually worked on his dad's farm in Moose Jaw. It's crazy wow. Wow. in a circle small how world. small a world yeah. it is. But yeah. yeah, I just, that was me. Like I loved getting under people's skin. Vancouver, I wasn't allowed <laughs> in Vancouver after what I did there after a game. I was picked first star and I bit a big circle, which is kind of a no no. You take a, a victory lap. You only take the victory lap at home. I did it on the road, and they're throwing bottles and cans. And wow. So, yeah, but I, I, like I said, I deserved everything I got because I liked shoving it up their ass, you know, yeah. when, the, you know, they're trying to take my head off. And by the end of the game, I'm like, I can't wait to stick it to these guys. So, <laughs> and I did it quite a bit, but I got, you know, I was on the short end of it a lot too. Would fights ever continue from the game into, you know, if you ran into someone after the game, was that bad? Yeah, you know what? Quite honestly, the the it's a common knowledge that two hockey players get in a fight, and if they ran into each other in a bar after, they drink beers together, or they just flat out hate each other and turn around the other way and can't stand them. Now, there's only a couple guys over the course of my career, Cam Neely, who we're good, I'm good friends with now, but there was a guy named Dale Hunter, and I swear he had the eyes of the devil, and he was a good player, and he gets suspended all the time, but. He was he scared the shit out of me when I was on the ice. I just made sure I was aware when he was. He got me twice, blew up my knee twice from behind. But this guy was like he might have been hated more than me. Wow! And uh, you just got to be aware of guys like that. But push comes to shove, hockey players are great guys. So if you run into someone, you're even when you're like on all star breaks. If you're in Florida and you see one of your worst enemies, you're gonna go up and start drinking with him and have a beer with him and his girlfriend or wife. And that's it's just been the way it has been forever for hockey. And because everyone knows that's the game. It's yes. like what happens in the game happens in the game, and it's about winning. And you do what it takes to win, and everyone does it, right? To, ver- to, to some degree or another, right? There's very few guys who can't separate it in the yeah. league, and then you're always gonna like any other group athletes or you know, businesses, you're going to have that odd guy who's a, just an absolute douche, right? So, but not so much at hockey because, again, it wouldn't be allowed in the room. It seems like it would root itself out yes. if, if there's a understanding between the players of a culture. Right. It's in the culture. If you're not following the rules of the culture, yes. you'll probably get pushed out of the culture. Yeah, and the only thing that's changed a little bit is because of the Euros. You know, now with all the Europeans coming over, that the culture's changed a little bit as opposed to a more physical aggressive game now they're creating an offensive skilled game i guess they figure it's better for the viewers you know that's why smaller players can play now they've any all the rules they've changed benefit the forwards and offensive skills defensemen it's tough that's why you really have to know how to skate to to play in this league as a defenseman from the from the beginning of when you played until now what have been all of the rule changes in order from the beginning well, like I said, the biggest have been stick infractions. You cannot hold anybody up with your stick, which is a big deal at any time on the ice. Because that, that would slow down a fight. It stops everything. It, stops it would prevent a fight. Not necessarily the fight. It's basically like if someone wants to go up the ice and join them. If you hook them and stop them, their momentum's changed. You just go right by them. Now you're in front of them. So it's just hooking is the one and interference. Like like in basketball, you're allowed to throw a pick. Were people getting hurt hooking? Nope. Don't get so hurt why? hooking. 
So why did they change Be, that rule? Because it was such a disadvantage for offensive players to just reel a guy in with your stick. It's it it is a, a it, they shouldn't allow hooking. It was just oh, a, I see. And then interference, somewhat like basketball, where they throw picks. You can't do that in hockey either. Like that's that was a big thing to slow guys down. Like let's say they dump the puck into the into the zone when a defenseman's going back to get the puck so you could protect them. One of the forwards would get in front of theirs and slow them down. Now you can't do that, so it's open season on defense when they just come full speed and run them. And that's wow. that's why more and more guys are getting hurt. That's amazing. Yeah, you can't interfere anymore to protect your players, and that's a bad thing. You should be able to you know, get in front. As long as you're moving your feet, it should be okay. If you're standing still and and really interfering, then it should be a two-minute penalty. But like I said, as a defenseman, it's it's no advantage to play in this league. And for the Olympics, you play on the American team, and there's a Canadian team as well, yes? Yes, yep, and uh, all the countries, and like, that's, um, the American-Canadian rivalry has been built up because the Americans have finally caught up. At the end of the day, though, when it comes for the big game, Canada always seems to rise, and they got that swagger. But it's the culture, it's like, it seems yep. like it's been in their culture forever. Yep. And it's newer, like, you're you're really the beginning of it in right. some ways. For, yeah, I, yeah, other than... An 80 team, the 80 team, that paved the way for Americans. No one was looking at American players. But once that 80 team won the gold medal, there's only a handful of guys that really made it to the NHL. Mark Johnson being one of them, uh, the defenseman who won four cups for, for the Islanders, uh, Davey Christian, the Broughtons. But that paved the way for our group of guys. We had more guys make it. They were starting to look at more college players because at that point, the 80 team was all amateurs. So, but yeah, but our rivalry with Canada is, is, is second and none. It used to be Canada, Russia, but now we've caught them and, but it's good. It's, it's great for hockey, the world cups. Like, you know, we still have the only bragging rights for beating Canada in 96 for the world cup, which is kind of a big thing for the Americans. Cause We've never beat them in any other tournaments, you know, yeah. other than the 1980 Olympics. What was the history of the Stanley Cup? What do you know about Stanley Cup? I mean, I didn't know anything about it until I got to Montreal and I see the 22, you know, banners up there. I'm going, Jesus Christ, these guys, they weren't kidding. It's like the New York Yankees yeah. of Canada. And, you know, like I said, to be drinking with, you know, Henry Richard and John Beliveau and these guys were all still around in the search of arts. You learn quick about that the fans were so knowledgeable about the game. If you missed a pass or you made a bad play, they would boo you. Didn't matter if you're in first place, they'd boo you. Like they were so critical of the fans. And and then you had the whole English, American, French thing where the Quebec was actually trying to separate from Canada. And I get caught in the middle of that. You know, the French media is ripping me, the US media or American or English papers are trying to stick up for me. And I got caught up in all that. Wow. It was it was insane. So I literally got traded at, at one point because of that. And we won the Stanley Cup in 86. They traded seven Americans because the headlines were no longer a French traditional team. Wow. There goes six American players over the summer. Wow. So it was a big thing. And I, I didn't understand it going into it. But at the end of the day, now they're probably wishing that they didn't do that because 91 was the last time any Canadian teams won the Stanley Cup. Wow. And they would die at you know, American, English, French, Canadian, European they should have not you know but they didn't know any better you know it was politics amazing yeah so you've won three three cups one with uh montreal and i said geez second year in i'm gonna win a bunch of these cups <laughs> well you did three's a bunch three's i know i compared other guys that never get to touch it or like ray bork one of the greatest ever one time you know some guys never win it their whole like dan marino is a great example jim kelly what happened to him in the in the super bowl so 
I, it took me 17 years to win another one, but I sure appreciate it in Detroit. We had, I think, 11 Hall of Famers on that team, so it would have been a huge disappointment not to win with that team. And then 2006, we won it again. I wasn't such an impact player or relevant, but I still got to play in a handful of games in the finals. And at the end of the day, you're still part of a, t a team Absolutely. that wins. And there's a lot of... Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of And there's memories. a lot that goes into a team that wins, both on the on the ice and off the ice. Right, right. And yeah, and, and at that age, at 46, you know, these young kids, and I, I'll still take experience over youth, 90% of the time, especially when it comes to the big games. And and we at hockey, they're respectful. The kids listen. And when you got an older group in the room, it helps these guys a ton, you know, so they don't feel the pressure. And if they face adversity or they're struggling, that's where I came in. And then, you know, I think I played four games because of injuries during that plus. Well, thank God we won every game. So I felt pretty good about that. You know, it's a good way to go out. And uh, you know, not necessarily because I felt I did something, but uh, right. But no, you were you wrong. were useful on the team, yep. and you win. Yeah, if you win, it's good. That's it. That's all I cared, and, and you know that for me, it wasn't about the individual trophies or anything. It was wins, and I think I want to say I got more wins than anybody in the playoffs. I also got more losses than anybody, but that's because I played in so you know more times. playoff games than anybody. Is it fun to play even when you lose? Yeah. It's just fun. Yeah, and you play so many games, 82 games a year. The good thing is you lose a game. You know, I, I've lost sleep a couple times during the regular season, you know, over that. But the good thing is you're right back at it a day or two days later, and you just put it behind you. And, and that's why it's great that there's so many games. Playoff losses are much tougher, you know, especially when you're, you know, there's high expectations. You win the President's Trophy, you know, the best team in the league, and then you get knocked out first round. That President Trophy means nothing, you know. So, but you look back, and again, I don't say that the trophies don't mean anything. It's it's great for the goaltenders when you win those Jennings trophies, the best goalies in the league for goals against. So as a defenseman, you take a little pride. You have that when your your goalies are winning individual trophies. That for me, you know, I've I played in front of as some defense, of the, you're an extension of the goalie, exactly. essentially. Yeah, and you can't, like, some of the goalies, you, if you're winning 3-1, I can go out there and try and score the fourth goal, but I'd rather try and protect the lead for the goaltenders. Goals against average to stay down and our goals against to stay down. And I had Patrick Herrois, one of the greatest, Eddie Belfort, Dominic Hasek. All these guys are Hall of Famers, and that's part of the reason for my success, too, is the goaltenders that played behind me. So the goaltenders are, what makes a goaltender good is... Being able to predict where the puck's going to go because you can't, you can't see where it's going. Yep, you're spot on. Like guys like Dominic Hasek, I would say out of all these guys, he had that gift and ability of if the puck's coming, he would see a stick, you know, in the slot thirty feet away, and would put his blocker up just in case that stick was going to tip it. That's that's the gift he had of being able to have that vision. You know, I, I always called it fighter pilot vision type yeah. of thing where you see everything around you. Yeah. And that's what made the great ones. And, and like you said, there's so much traffic and guys getting in front of you. But these guys just have a knack if, you know, let's say there's two guys in front of them. Well, he just assumes the puck's not getting through them. So he just comes over to the other side where the puck is coming. So it's a gift for sure. Like a, a rebounder like Dennis Rodman, yeah. he had just that knack. He wasn't bigger than anybody, but he had that sixth sense of always being in the right spot and always out rebounding. Didn't matter if the guy's four inches bigger, he ended up with the ball. Interesting. I got to interview Phil Jackson a couple of weeks ago, which was incredible. Yeah. And we talked about Rodman a little yeah. bit. And it's funny because the, the way the press portrays him is crazy and out of control. And what Phil was saying is he trained every day. Yep. He showed up at every game. 
He studied everything he needed to study, and none of the extracurricular stuff impacted his game in the least. Not at all. Zero. So in some ways, if the idea is to play the game and win, and if he's excelling at the game, what does it matter if he goes out at night? They still care. Management still cares. He, Why? I don't know. But if you look at the in Detroit, he got in that trouble. That was something else, a personal thing. That was, and then in San Antonio, he kind of went off the deep end. They didn't win. And then San Antonio was it San Antonio that he was playing? Or one of the tech, uh, teams down there. He's an easy scapegoat. That's why most guys won't do that. If you win, you can do anything. If you start losing, he's an they easy guy to point you, to blame the finger. And he just came into a situation. And trust me, MJ, if he didn't think MJ didn't think he was doing his job, but he, I think you watched that. I'm sure you watched that documentary. Yeah. He showed up every game. And some guys, you say that you don't have the ability to just turn on and off. Dennis did. Yeah. And it didn't matter if he was out all night the night before. Somehow he woke up when the game started. Well, Phil, Phil said when he found out that Dennis was available, Phil was trepidatious. And he went to Michael and Scotty, and they're like, if we could have that guy on our team, we want him. Because they hated when right. he was against them. Right. They hated him. Yep, he could drive but, you nuts. But if he could be on our team, we want that. Yep. No, he he like he against matched up against the big centers. I'll never forget. I was at the the Utah series. What he did to Malone, he drove Malone crazy. It's just like I played the same way. I was an agitator and get under guy's skin, I, and I do that to my wife. I could do it to my best friend. I know how to get. You know, I like said you're the most adoring, lovable person, or so, like annoying, lovable person. I think one of our mutual friends called me that here in Malibu. But yeah, there's a that's still an art too, along with his skill level. To be able to get under a guy's skin like that and and throw them completely off their game, it's it, it's just impossible to ignore him. Like he's tapping you on the ass on the court and gamesmanship, I believe it's called. Yeah, right. <laughs> gamesmanship. And he's never been in a fight. He's never thrown a punch, but he somehow you know he pisses everybody off. The only guys I've ever seen him hit was the cameraman when he fell down and you know he kicked the cameraman. But I mean, he's a lovable guy. He's got his his issues. Like and we you know we invited him to or he got invited to Michael's. Uh, 60th birthday party and michael really wanted him to be there he won and of course dennis missed his flight so but he that guy like he said i've watched him train didn't matter how many people he had waiting for him after the game he was on the treadmill and doing his weights regardless yeah and studying that. tape and like really methodical yeah about what he did it was not um it was not accidental and it wasn't just he had a lot of energy he yeah. was he was smart about his play and did his homework hard yep he knew the game in and out, inside and out and he knew his opponents you know tell me about um training in general how how did how was your training different than other hockey players from the time that you started i was ahead of the curve for sure because back then even the guys that were supposedly in the best shape all they did was bench press and jog or stationary bike that was it in the early 80s and i met tr goodman here out in venice um, how do you meet him Oh, through Gabby. I no, no. I actually I was in the gym training with Tony Danza. Like he's the the originator of the the Malibu mob, right? And wow. Tony's got me doing just curls, and he's yeah. got all these this big muscle head, you know, bodybuilder guy with him. And I looked across the gym, and I saw this guy doing some circuit training with a rope. And I walked over, and I say, hey, "My name's Chris Jelly." It was it was his kid, Alan May from the Washington Capitals, was TR's first client. So I go, do you mind? I'd like to try this tomorrow. And I was hooked. And that was, and that was history from then. 
you know, I would be going and leaving the house at 545 and train with TR and he, and I was a loose cannon too. I wasn't Dennis Rodman, but I liked to have fun. And, you know, I needed something to ground me and be real disciplined. And TR Goodman was perfect for me. You know, I did, if I showed up even like remotely smelling like a Bud Light, he would just give it to me. So yeah. for two and a half months of the summer here, I was religiously going to him and it, it just, no one in the league was doing it at the time. And I, my skating improved so much and my strength and endurance. And unfortunately, TR got so many clients that became, you know, known throughout, you know, the league. And then he was training guys like Rob Blake. Well, that's not an advantage anymore for me. I think it's yeah. a conflict, I was telling him. Yeah. And I got mad <laughs> yeah. because he's 10 years younger, Blakey. And then he wins the Norris Trophy, which is the best defenseman in the league. And I'm like, that's not fair, TR. So I wouldn't train with anybody else anymore i wanted to go by myself and i said you better show me something different than what we're doing yeah, i needed another you know the edge so and he never did he couldn't do it but <laughs> but that's what it was i was just ahead of the curb and you know in just that much better shape and then you add don and laird into the mix and you know i know you started doing the pool stuff with them and it, what it did for you was amazing so yeah, changed my life i believed in it you know and i believed what laird and don was doing i believe what tiara's doing and a mental game of it like i was into it you yeah know? let's talk about sauna because first time i ever did sauna was with you that's right completely changed my life yep i do it all the time now non-stop i know yep. it's probably 12 years ago something like that a long time ago yeah i mean i started doing it in college actually i fast forward when i was 18 years old the team and moose jaw had this dumpy old sauna but i just love the sweat my favorite movie of all time is raging bull okay so that scene in the steamer yeah. when is it you know he's kind of cut weight yeah i'm figuring i don't like steamers only because the noise and you can't read in there and you can't watch tv i said i'm going to start making saunas and i was you know with two different companies infrared and electric heat and started customizing saunas with windows and but ultimately i think just the sweat. I, I, you know, I think Matthew McConaughey said at one time, yeah, he believes in sweating once a day. And that gets the toxics out of you, whether you drink, the stuff they put in the foods. And I never get sick, knock on wood. I've, when my family gets the flu, I get nothing. But it seems like the healthiest thing in the world to do is sweat. And then I started putting the bike in the sauna and word got out. And there's nothing, it doesn't get you in better shape. All it does is makes you sweat more and yeah. get those toxics out of you. And also mental toughness because yeah. it's just so hard and so unpleasant. Exactly. It's like if you can do that, you can do whatever your regular job is for twice as long because it's just the mental strength of yep. you're enduring terrible things. Yeah. It's Same like with training. the ice. Like when you stay in the ice for a long time, yeah. it's like once you can do that, whatever nonsense you have to deal with in your day becomes much smaller. Right. It's not sitting in ice. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and training in the mountains like these guys with the altitude. No different from the sun. You're training the heat. Well, then you go play a game. How much easier is it just playing the regular elements, right? So, Absolutely. And I didn't realize it at first, but I just, all of a sudden, I started feeling unbelievable. Like, oh, this this is working. I had no lactic acids in me. Zero. So, and to this day, like, I got my daughters, everybody, they're riding bikes in the sauna. They're all hooked, too. It's it's amazing. But it's, it, I, like I said, I, I, I can't think of a healthier thing to do. I, I suggest everybody's on to it now yeah. I, I believe the hot cold treatment and yeah, yeah, yeah. so but no I mean, but you really flew the flag it's like we're all yeah everybody's into it because we saw you do it yeah and we got a guy down the street that likes to think he invented it but we won't mention <laughs> his name but his initials are laird hamilton so <laughs> but yeah it's it's i guess i'm glad i brought that and even when, don when did you decide to put the tv where you could watch tv in the sauna because i was spending so much time in there rick and i was getting bored and i'm thinking okay at least i could watch documentaries or sports yeah and, you know you can't stay in there for a two hour two and a half hour game 
But you, you jump in for the 30 minutes, and then you go out, jump in the cold plunge, you come right back. You could and- definitely stay in the sauna longer if you're distracted, for sure. Oh, yeah. I listen to podcasts and yeah. stuff. If I'm really listening, you don't even notice how uncomfortable you are. No, and I and I hate binge-watching these TV series. But in a sauna, at least I'm killing two birds with one stone, right? I, I, not, yeah. But like I said, it, it's something I, I, I'd suggest. Like women, I would suggest for the infrared because it's not high heat. It's a little more tolerable for women because when they first get in a, even 180 degrees, it's it's not fun. So you got to just kind of build up a, a you know, a, towards a, the heat. I would guess, right? Was like the was the ice was the ice was a normal thing for players after games to get in an ice tub? It it was like I'm thinking back to North Dallas 40. Nick Nolte sitting in that. It all started in those stainless steel. You know, uh, whirlpools. You just fill it with water, dump three buckets of ice in there. And you stay in that for five minutes, and it takes all the inflammation out of your body. Any aches and pains, I don't believe I'm taking medication unless you absolutely had to in your prescribed. But you know, instead of taking uh, anti-inflammatories, you just got to get in the cold tub. People don't understand. Now it's it's hard to get in that cold tub, but yeah. like anything else, once you get used to it, you know, you start thirty seconds and build your way up to a minute. Then before you know it, you're in it for five minutes. Yeah, I remember the first time I went. First time even going into the ocean in the winter with you. Yep. I was terrified. I never did that before. And it felt great. It yeah. felt great. It's like there's something in our mind that makes it seem scary because we haven't done it. But once you experience it, once you feel the hot, the extreme of the hot, and then the extreme of the cold and how it makes you feel yeah. completely addictive. Yeah, and you end on cold and that tingling is second to none. You have it for a few hours after and just your whole body, your muscles feel revived. and feels so, so good. Yeah, I, would, I had a guy... Um, who had just come from Peru, where he had done these psychedelic experiences with shaman. And he came to do sauna at, at my old house that burned down. And we did sauna and ice. And on the first round, he was saying, wow, this would be really cool to like take the medicine and do it in here. And then by the time we got to like the fourth round, he's like, whatever you do, don't take any drugs <laughs> when you do this because it'll kill you. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like it's, He's like, it was so intense once you get going i've never felt better in my life than after a handful of rounds of sauna and ice yep unbelievable what it does for the for the mind for the for the mood yeah i usually do it after workouts in the mornings that was kind of my my time of the day like we just finished now uh me and a friend but uh at night if you do it you sleep like a baby for if you have a tough time sleeping at night same thing that it just knocks you out if you can you know, if you want to go at night, but I, I like getting out of the way during the daytime. Yeah, I, for some reason, I like it before dinner. That's my favorite. Is that what you do? Like, yeah, sunsetty, something about it. I don't know why. I don't like getting in the cold in the morning. Oh but no, maybe that would make it good. Maybe that means I need it. You know, hard to say. Yeah, but I know that later in the day, I feel better doing it. Yeah, well, like to each his own. Like I said, it's a lot of it's in your mind too, right? Yeah. So I, I just, I just feel like after I work out and and get in the sun, I'm so tired. But that cold tub gets me going for the rest of the day. Like it keeps me uh, the, the adrenaline, that that feeling you get, like goosebumps, kind of like the chills, and I like that. Yeah. Tell me about um, in general. How would hockey fans differ from other sports fans? Uh, the fact that there's fighting and the fans love the fighting, that says a, enough about the fans. But and they like the physical part of it. Like that. That's the one thing. The hitting, you know, the aggressiveness. And even though it's it's become a more skilled game, there's still a physical aspect that's always going to be a part of it, especially in the playoff. The one thing I will say, uh, unfortunately for the fans, from a TV perspective, if you don't 
know hockey or you've never been to a game, it's really hard to follow it on TV and understand what's going on because they still haven't figured out because of the speed, you know, where the cameras should be. And, you know, somewhat like soccer, they have to, they should just show the whole ice and then they need someone like you or, you know, in that type of business to, to give them the answer. But so far, no one's had it. It's really tough to understand. It's too TV. fast to follow on TV. Yeah. And from a live sport perspective, I don't think there's a better live sport. Football, way better on TV. You know, it's so it's slower. You get you get everything. Basketball is one that get you can get away with both. I think it's I think it's a great that's a great sport from TV and hockey. Baseball is what it is. I love baseball more than anything, but it's slow and you don't have, as a fan, you don't even have to pay attention until you hear the ball hit the bat, yeah. basically. But hockey is a fast game. You can't you can't leave because something's going to happen. You know, it's as the play's always going on. How many teams are there in the United States? Oh, there's 24, 25, 25 teams, 26 teams in the U.S. Yeah, and they're talking about expansion, but, you know, that disaster in Phoenix, was they're playing in a college rink now in front of 5,000 fans, and that whole Glendale Arena thing backfired on them, but that'll be fixed eventually. But uh, like I said, it's sometimes it's just tough to sell hockey unless you got a good team, you know. When you first started playing, you played outside on I ice growing yeah. up yeah growing up in chicago i learned on two different one when they froze the basketball court over in the window firemen would just show up with the truck and just sprayed every you know whenever it needed and it would freeze it just seemed like back then the winters were colder and you know now it's been weird weather everywhere but you know and eventually when you know i started having kids i was putting rinks in our backyards but outdoor for two years and and then I ended up, you know, getting lucky enough that my family we had just enough money to play competitive hockey and start playing, you know, on a regular team in club hockey. Amazing. How'd you end up in Malibu? Yeah. Tony Danza. I'm gonna drop Tony Danza's name again. He came to a game uh at the LA Forum. We just the Canadians, we just played the uh the 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 Kings, and he was friends with a kid, Russ Courtnall, one of my teammates. So we went to the forum club after. And I asked him where he lived, and he told me Malibu. And I'm thinking, geez, I've seen that in the movies. It looks really cool. He goes, you should come check it out. So I uh, just was my first kid, and I just had a, my wife was pregnant at the time. So we rented for a summer. I go, man, this is exactly it's how California should be. So yeah. rented for another year, and we decided this is where I want to go, and I want to train and get away from everybody because there's too many distractions in Chicago in the summer to, to, to have family time. And now I'm here 32 years later. Unbelievable. Yeah, loving best, it. Best decision. Yep, and I love my house, and I yeah. I don't like the crazy rules and the you know what's going on with the politics, but you know at the end of the day, I'm lucky enough we're in this little bubble with friends like you and, and my just the group of guys. I love the idea of not having to drive more than 10 minutes to get anywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like we're on our own little island here, and yeah. it's a really special place, Malibu. What was it like getting inducted to the Hall of Fame? Honestly, like for me, the the I obviously I was honored, but for the the, the biggest thing was having a hundred of my friends and family there crossing the border, which is no easy feat. Yeah, three of them got detained in the airport jail. jail. <laughs> I won't say why, but um, <laughs> but use your imagination. Yeah, and I I think back. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think back of the party. My mother and father were still alive, which which made it really special. My dad's passed since then, but you look back and to, to be lucky enough to to make it to the NHL, and then you know nobody from my neighborhood. 
I hope it happens, but is ever going to make the Hall of Fame in hockey from the south side of Chicago. I shouldn't say never, but... but Unlikely. Just, it's, a, it's, an, it's an, a real fluke. Right. That's a, that's what... And I said that on the stage, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. a joke that I'm up here, but yeah. to have all those people up there and coaches from when I was a kid, and that that's what was all about to feel how fortunate I was to not only just be in Dr. Hall of Fame, to be able to share it, just like winning Stanley Cup championships. It's great, and, uh, but the best part is your friends and family and the parties and the, the like, it's, it's crazy to see the effect it has. And then, you know, my friends don't ever have that, the chance to go to a Hall of Fame. They don't know a whole lot of guys like that and that, that make it. So, you know, of Kid Rock, like performing with, you know, at a, ba a bar in Toronto. We stole the show and the Canadians hated it. <laughs> they absolutely hated it. It was the That's greatest funny. Hall of Fame party That's they've so ever had. You know, the, the, the tradition of, you know, being able to have the Stanley Cup and bring it, you know, to your house or anywhere. Those guys that bring that Stanley Cup around, those three guys, they couldn't wait when it was free. They would call me. At some point, I'm getting sick. I go, I don't want to have the Stanley Cup anymore, you guys. But, like I said, it, what it did for my friends, my family, and the memories of all those. I got a, a photographer that made a book that I'll watch. I'll look through this book till I'm 100 years old. Hopefully, I live till it's. It's just it's special. That's when I'm. You know, the pictures are amazing. So cool. Yeah. So cool. In the game, finals. Tell me the mindset of going to war. I mean, it's from day one. Like that's just I like. That was my thing. I was called the ultimate warrior. That was, I was, I didn't give it to my, I hate talking about myself, but I got to do it here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but that was my thing, like how I competed. And it didn't matter if I was in the gym. It didn't matter if I was playing pickleball. It didn't matter what I do. Unfortunately, the legs aren't there anymore to compete, but that was it. I never quit. You know, I didn't want to let the best defenseman on the other team outplay me. That was the bottom line. And I didn't really necessarily enjoy winning as much as I feared or hated losing, mm -hmm. right? So, and that's the one thing that's, that I forget that phrase is the only thing stronger than uh, something is fear. Like, I, I guess you'd probably know you've heard that, but I just was afraid to lose. You know, yeah. I, I think Johnny McEnroe, a good friend of mine, is a perfect example. He never enjoyed winning. He just hated losing so much. Like I've never seen a guy who is more relieved after he won than happy. Like the, yeah, just relieved. But that's his competitiveness. And yeah. to this day, you, you, you're golfing with him. I've lost it, thank God. I'm sick. I was sick of having that, you know, yeah. in my brain that you have to win. And now I'm so relieved. Like they, they, people think I care when I lose in other sports and backgammon. I don't care anymore. And I'm, I'm, thank God I got rid of that. What do you think changed that allowed that to happen? Because it sounds, sounds like this is a much healthier version of yourself. Just the grind. Yeah. I was tired of the grind. And, and you play till you're 48. Yeah. I didn't realize at the time because I wasn't feeling the pressure. I wasn't feeling the grind. But what a relief it was when I retired. I think it was just the world off my shoulders that I didn't have to win anymore. I didn't have to compete anymore. I go and... You know, I skate in senior leagues. Guy, these guys are trying their hardest against me. I don't care, and yeah. I never thought I'd get to that point. Yeah, but I don't. Like that's it, great. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, I lost it, and people don't believe great. it. But yeah, has your training changed since you stopped playing? Definitely. I got a couple nagging things that you, you know you can't go heavy. The one guy that comes to mind, Clint Eastwood said at one time in an interview, he just believes in moderation. He never did heavy weights. He just you know Consistent. just kept there. And I'm just consistent with the, the body weight mostly, you know, nothing heavy because when I try and get stronger or go heavier, there goes my knee, there goes my shoulder, there goes a the shoulder so, or, or elbow. So 
I, I should know by now, like the old saying, if it hurts, don't do it. Yeah. You know, I've toned it down mountain bike, even staying more on pavement than going in the mountains just because of the pounding. So mm -hmm. you got to adapt, you know, you're not going to beat father time. So yeah, and you, and you have just as much fun doing it. I, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, like I said, you just get smarter as you get older. You'd like to think, right. I read a quote where someone said that hurting you was better than winning a Stanley cup. That would be my good friend, Terry O'Reilly. <laughs> yep. Only because his teammate told me that, you know, two years later when they were sitting on the bench and he got me, he blew my knee out purposely. Like he literally cut my legs out. I got pushed from behind right when he was about to hit me from another player and he just stuck his hip into my side. And that was my first significant knee injury. It wasn't real bad, but it put me out of the playoffs and he, he got me and, and, and he hated me for years. Like I, I won the Norris trophy as the uh, defenseman, uh, best defenseman of the year. He, he wouldn't pick me for the all-star game because he was a coach. He did that two years to me. And that's the hate we talked about earlier. Wow. Some guys, and the hate with Boston because it was a rival, Montreal-Boston, you know, the original six teams, so many playoff rounds between them. So it was it was war, and O'Reilly wouldn't let it go. He was from the old school, and he was a tough guy. And I and actually I had the same number as him, and I liked him, but then when I played against him for the first time, I go, oh, my God, this guy's a prick. <laughs> he's gonna kill me so so and we finally made up we you know we uh, were at an alumni game somewhere yeah. in montreal in in montreal and we just happened to run into each other in one of the food rooms and he goes yeah we did a lot of stupid things back then i'm going thank god so we, we're good now that's uh, great it's great feels better not having beef with people no you know what i said that about a year ago i'm i'm done wasting my energy on hate yeah like and i and i truly mean it i i, I just if something bothers me i just eliminate it and that's it i move on I, and i i can't believe i'm saying that because you know that's not me but it's so much better not to hate it really is it really is yeah it feels good. ignore and, i guess is what i do now i just yeah, ignore I, and you're you're being kind to yourself like because when you hate somebody they don't even know what's going on you're just tearing yourself up right you know so it's like you're Taking care of yourself, which yeah. is a good thing to do. Might not, as well. Yeah, I'm not. No quite, one else is going to do it. Yeah, I'm not quite out of the woods yet, right? <laughs> but I'm getting there. Right? <laughs> Talk a good game, but no. But it's slowly but surely with age and being a grandpa. Maybe that's got something to do with it, or yeah. I don't know. Like what's what's going on in this world? I who knows? You know, you just you're afraid to say something to someone anymore because you don't know what's you know gun knife. Who knows what's going to happen now? Like I might mind my own business a lot more than I used to. That's for sure. Yeah. When COVID hit. Like everybody else, bored to death, not allowed to leave the house. Everybody's under quarantine. So I got so bored, you know, after six months, I decided to start our own tequila company with a friend, right? I, Is tequila your drink of choice in general? Beer and tequila. You can't drink tequila all day in the sun. I'm a boater. So, you know, I choose beer and just sip on beers I could drink. Bud Lights till the cows come home. That's just been a gift. I've seen you do it. A gift or a curse. I don't know what it I've is. I've seen but, you do it. And then the tequila, it was a friend's idea. He went ahead and did all the, the legwork going down to Guadalajara and Jalisco and Guadalajara with the distilleries. And, and we came up with a great, it's, if there's no such thing as healthy drinking, but it's clean and it's, it is the healthiest you'll get as far as no additives, really pure. And I think tequila out of all the liquors is probably the, the cleanest out of all of them, including vodka. And it doesn't have sugar in it. Like no sugar. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a total different buzz. And, but again, with my age comes moderation. So I've, I've figured that out too, but we got a tequila company called El Bandito. 
The name came from Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid when they were, you know, the Bolivian police come running in there, El Bandito, American, whatever. So El Bandito Yankee, actually, is what we called it from that movie. And it's going good. We're, we're about 15, 16 states, and it's here in Malibu. Where can you get it? Any distributor you, in California, you just tell them, or any bar or restaurant you go to, they can order it. They'll just order it through the distributor. And, and it, like I said, if, you, if you're a tequila person, you'll, you'll know this is a clean, good tequila. And it's been fun. A lot of great trips, a lot of events. We got NASCAR in Chicago coming up and brings you to a lot of new places. And then I'm still doing the Chicago Blackhawks ambassador job, which is kind of cool. You just go to games and shake hands, sit in the suite, take pictures. At least you feel a little bit relevant. And you're still around the game. Started doing ESPN last year with Mark Messier, Steve Levy. Fun? It, you know what? It, it's it's great to get back in the game. I don't like the grind of traveling. I only do 45 games a year with ESPN and all playoffs, which is cool because the playoffs is where it gets really exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an unbelievable playoff this year. Um, but it's been good. I don't. I can't say I'm as comfortable as I want to be on TV. You know, it's not. You know, I didn't go to school like my daughter's doing it, and you could tell the five years of journalism is paying off. You know, with her because she sounds so good and smooth, and for a woman, what a great opportunity it's been for her. And she's, but she worked hard to earn it, and and uh, it's fun to do a couple games with her. They've allowed me to do that, and that's I don't think I've ever seen a father daughter tandem. So you could tell that, the, and we're both alike. So it's it's kind of comical. <laughs> and then and then the last thing is I do a, a little deal with Wayne Gretzky. We're bet MGM ambassadors and that's just a small job but again it brings you to some cool things meet some cool people i don't golf but you know some of the tournaments you get to meet some pretty interesting people and, and go to some pretty cool places so but like you you stay busy you know it's, it's hard not to and you know a wild man told me i was going to retire at 50 don Wildman. he goes no wait till you're 60 and i'm now i'm thinking well don was 80 he wasn't quite retired so now i'm shooting for 70 and if you know but like i it, it's fun staying busy um you know, I, I love coming back to Malibu to see friends. It's, it's great that I got a chance to run so into you cool. because we're really never in the same never. city or country yeah, yeah, half yeah. the time. You seem to know a lot of musicians. How did that come to be? You know, playing hockey as long as I did for all the years, you just seem at all the venues, I guess they, we shared the same venues first I of see. all. So I can get in any backstage. I don't need any passes to get in where I'm playing that that's, you know, I, I in the Chicago, I could have run for mayor at some point in Montreal, <laughs> same thing. So you have that advantage, and I, I'll drop one name, and I'm not going to say where he is because I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I've been really good friends with Eddie Vedder, and I met him through Dennis Rodman because he was a Bulls fan at the time, not a hockey fan. And we met in 95 and become really close friends, and, and it's crazy how quick that time goes, and I've seen him you know, get married and have a couple kids, but for we're totally opposite. But for some reason, we have this weird connection like i'll go to his beach house and he has the same you know pineapple thing on his wall and then he'll have a t-shirt that i have and i'm thinking he might have stole my t-shirt or something but <laughs> it's crazy how we have these similar like i wouldn't call him dumb things but he's such an intellectual and and you know he's he showed me so much stuff over the years and it's, it's a great relationship i guess you could say opposites attract but through him i've gotten to see some of the most unbelievable uh, historic you know things in music and i and i've learned to appreciate music more i love music i'm just not real knowledgeable about it and i i think i told you earlier i know a lot more about hockey than eddie does and i know or music than yeah. he knows about hockey so yeah. it kind of evens out the platform but that that's it and then you know we have a mutual friend in kid rock when i was in detroit and if there's anything going on bobby was in the middle of it so 
you know, he's another guy, like interesting and all over the place. And but I loved it. And I loved being around that life. I think, you know, I tried playing an instrument, five different instruments when I was a kid. It was clarinet, cornet, saxophone, uh, trumpets type like that, and piano. And after all of them, I realized I'm not good at any of them. I better start learning how to play a sport or do something else. And but in my next life, I would have loved to be a musician. It never worked out. But you know, Johnny Mac, we started a band during COVID, and I got to play the keyboards, and it was a blast. Till him and Timmy kicked me out. <laughs> I've been kicked out three times now. I don't know if I want to be around the, these music guys because they're so. <laughs> it's crazy the temperament, mental, and how all their issues of falling out. So we don't have that in hockey. Yeah. Once you're a teammate, you're blood brothers. This, yeah. this whole rock and roll oh, thing. There's a question about that. If there's a guy who's on an enemy team, it's like the Dennis Rodman question. Yep. And then they get traded to your team. What happens? I, I was that guy. I got traded from Chicago to Detroit and all of Detroit hated me. Like, and I mean, it couldn't have been worse. And then when I went to Detroit, all the fans in Chicago turned on me and that was hometown. So, but the minute I walked in the room, the first guy came up to me, this guy I had issues with for a long time. His name is Marty LaPointe. And he comes up to me, he goes, are we going to be okay? I just started, we better be, we're, we're teammates, man. <laughs> so it, it's crazy. Yeah, you're, you're adopted. And that's happened to a lot of guys, like, you know, over the course of the years. And I put on that Red Wings jersey for the first time. I literally almost started crying how wrong it looked. But you just start playing and thank God we started winning. If I was to start losing, I would have been disowned in Chicago and then Detroit would have kicked me out and I would have been homeless. <laughs> so it, it is a strange feeling, Rick, trust me. But again, once you're on the team, all everything's forgiven and, it, and that's the beauty of it. But you, and getting back to these musicians, they don't forgive. Like how many of these guys, even family guys split up maybe because they spend so much time together, like eight hours in studios or I don't know. Don't it's know. like a marriage with these guys and all of a sudden it is like a it's marriage. like a divorce. And, and it's also very emotional and personal. It's not just physical. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a yes. there's a whole mental aspect of working stuff out much closer to a romantic relationship right. than it is to playing a game together. Yeah, we can get it out physically. We just go out and run someone over on the ice. Yeah. You guys got to keep that out. The only way they get it out is singing through songs, right? Yeah. Basically, they come yeah. up with great songs and yeah. about real-life things. So that, that's And you see cool. the great bands usually have that tension, like Jagger and Richards, tension. Yeah. Uh, John and Paul, tension. It's like, it seems to be a regular thing. Joe Perry and Steven Tyler, tension. So always the thing that makes the band good is that two people see it differently. And the, where they bridge the gap, that's this special thing where it's like, it's not just this guy's stuff and it's not just this guy's stuff. It's where they intersect and they don't belong intersected because they don't like each other. Right. They see it different. That's yeah. where the magic lies That's often. In I've never heard that. Yeah, I've never heard that. But you would know better. You're like, you're not the horse whisperer, you're the band whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. The like your reputation with them. It's just and you have such a whole hum, lackadaisical attitude, which that's your thing. Like that and that vibe carries to them. And I think you have a calming effect on a lot of people you know, that go through that and, you know, the ability to, to put these people in your studio. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough the other day that for the first time in 25 years, I don't know why I never came or I thought this was your, you know, your church. It is your <laughs> church. So, you know, it was off limits for everything because of this, you know, how special and the history behind it. But man, was I lucky to walk through there and you just kind of feel the ghosts of all of the people that have been in there. And I, I love that type of feeling. Yeah, me too. It's such a cool place. Yeah. And, and, 
there's a reason, one of the things that I found is a thing that allows people to relax is the fact that there's nobody around. Like there's no, there's no one to perform for. There's no audience. Because even sometimes one person, or if let's say it's a band of four people yeah. and one person's girlfriend is in the studio, it changes the whole energy of how everyone is acting. Or if two friends come to meet somebody while we're working, it changes it. It yeah. changes this feeling of there's nobody else. Like there's no outside world. We're not performing for anyone else. And it can get really personal and yeah. really like intimate. Yeah. That's what we that's what we aim for. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a late night guy, but I'm not gonna say when it happened, but when I was here at your studio, you know, we're watching videos of the band. Yeah, uh, incredible. And Eddie grabs a guitar and it's the same guitar this guy's playing in 1970 or whenever. Oh. And I'm going, that gives you goosebumps. Like it, yeah. it for me, that it's like when I went to Graceland, just knowing that Elvis was here and there and there like that for me I, I love that part of the the mystique and but this was real special not knowing what to expect yeah and then everybody pointing out like eddie pointing out in the background that's the picnic table right there that they're sitting at and that's that's the ovens yeah and that's the pool table that <laughs> yeah. they played on in and the I'm, movies like, yeah and so i'm trying to cool. connect everything i go man that wallpaper that's not the same wallpaper yeah <laughs> but it was we remodeled yeah it's so cool though. i'm glad i got a chance to see it Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming. No, thank uh, you. Love seeing you. It's yeah. great that we got to hang out you a little too, bit. You too, Rick. Yep.